make money online. So a uh, a listener wrote in, tweeted in with this uh, uh, question for us, and just a open open ask to everybody listening. If you have any questions for us, uh, email address is in the footer of the website, makemoneyonline.exposed. Uh, you could tweet at me, Kaius Davis. Uh, you could tweet at Nick. Uh, Nick D? No. Do not tweet, tweet at Nick. Tweet at me. You tweet will at regret Davis. following me on Twitter. <laughs> But uh, uh, one of our lovely, attractive, beautiful listeners, I think they just got a new haircut, uh, wrote in and said, how, how do you track down your number one skill to start off your consulting business? And I thought it was an intriguing question because I take a very, uh, let's say, controversial approach to tracking down that skill and starting a consulting business. And I think that there's a really cool conversation we could have here around this question and where they're coming from, hey, how do I start my own independent business? And how I think the question should be phrased. And I think it should be, how do I figure out what the frack I sell as a consultant? How do I figure out what exactly it is I'm putting out there in the market for people to buy? And I think that's a better question to ask than how do you track down your number one skill? Uh, uh, The reason I say that is when we focus on just the skills we have, I do PHP. I'm really good at email marketing automation. I do the drip really well. Uh, when we focus on just that, I, we're essentially saying, and it's the same old metaphor I use every time, I swing the hammer really, really well. Why won't people hire me to swing a hammer for them? Well, it's because people don't actually need people to swing hammers for them. They need decks constructed or rooms finish it, finished or beautiful new eight-person jacuzzi baths installed in their bathroom. So we need to focus on what's the business outcome that somebody is looking for? What's the problem the market or the problem somebody in our target market is experiencing that they want solved? And I think getting to that point is a really interesting journey. But once you get to that point, once you're able to say, hey, for this market, they're experiencing these problems, I'm going to focus on this problem in specific and create offerings to solve that problem, then you're in a really powerful position as a consultant because you know who you're selling to, what you're selling, and what you're making available for them to buy. I don't know. Does it have to be only one skill, though? Because you're never you're never going to come at this with just one skill. It's not like I'm a PHP developer. You learn other things, right? You learn maybe JavaScript in your job or front-end or something like that. And like, I don't know. I, I view it... I view it as more like taking stock of everything that you're good at. And, you know, everybody has varying levels of skills. Like, I've, I actually saw, like, this horrible skills matrix where people rated their skills on, like, a, you know, a gradient from 1 to 10 or something like that. Um, and that's horrible, but, you know, possibly feasible. And um, I don't know, like, go through that assess what you're actually good at and then try and back out an expensive problem from that, right? Because you're you're good at things. Everybody starts off in consulting good at things. Um, what are those things? What does that mean for your customers? What does that mean for your previous career prospects? Um, how much do you like doing those things? You know, like all of those things actually matter quite a bit. Yeah, I Does that make sense? Yeah, and I completely agree with that. And I've had a thought burning in my head for a while about positioning where what I see as the the dominant philosophy for positioning and the philosophy that I espouse is, well, you want to start with the target market and then move forward to it. But there is a interplay there between, well, I'm good at this stuff. I want to choose a target market that needs this stuff. And I so so I think a large part of it is, as you're saying, identifying what it is that you're good at already. What are those skills that you have? And then saying, well, what are the industries that 
hire for these things? Like, do auto mechanics spend a lot of money on graphic design? Compared to, do e-commerce stores spend a lot of money on graphic design? Well, one will be more of a source of revenue than another. One will be, a, the metaphor I always love is a river of money. One will be a more flowing river of money. And you want to set up your little shack next to the bigger river of money. And so I think part of it is understanding the skill that you have that you want to bring to the market and then saying, well, what is the market that would benefit from this skill? I don't think that the discussion or the conversation inside yourself needs to end there because I think that leads you to not quite an undifferentiated generalist, but you have some idea of who you're selling to, but you're still focusing on the skill instead of the business outcome or business problem. But it's a good path to take along the way of figuring out what exactly you're going to be selling. And I think there's a conversation that needs to happen somewhere in here about skill augmentation, which I don't often see discussed within freelancing circles. When do you decide hey, people are paying money for this thing. I'm going to go learn how to do that thing and then sell my service at doing that thing. I think it's a really viable track. I just never really see anybody talk about like, well, so you want to X, Y, Z. Like I see a lot of code boot camps out there, but I don't see a lot of services that say, well, hey, if you want to learn how to CRO really well, we're going to teach you how to CRO. Or freelancers saying, I decided to get into CRO because there was a lot of money to be made there. So I took these two courses and started selling my service. I think it's always good to step back and assess what you're good at, right? Like I'm shocked at what I know at various times, uh, mostly because I just have a very dim impression of myself, right? <laughs> and I'm too busy staring at the problems that are in front of me to gain meaningful critical distance on what it is I actually do. Right. And this is a difficult reckoning to do with yourself because you have to be really honest with yourself about what you're good at and what the ramifications of that are. And I love, love asking people, um, like, what, what expensive problems have you solved in the past? Because often they have no idea how to actually gain clarity on it. And then you have to go through what is basically a therapy session where you're teasing that out. Um, and I find that interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, you have to be very honest with yourself about what you're good at and what you need to, to work on. And if the, you know, it turns out kind of another side to this is, oh, I want to be solving this expensive problem. Okay, great. Are you equipped to actually solve that expensive problem? Okay, if not, what do you have to learn? Because you're never done professionally learning, right? I would pray not. Right. And I'd even flip it around and say, there is no skill set as a consultant, a freelancer, or an, or an independent business owner that cannot be acquired through skill augmentation. There is no black magic to what I do. I Please correct me if I'm wrong. There's no black magic to what you do. If somebody said, I love what Nick is doing. I want to, I want to be the next Nick. I want to learn A-B testing at CRO really, really well. I want to understand how to help businesses make more money through this practice. They, they, they could learn that skill. I mean, they could read the same books you've read. They could practice it. They could level up at that skill. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, I don't think that I do anything that's special or interesting with my job. I literally write JavaScript and go on Slack and talk to my clients. That's basically it. And nothing I do about that is a skill that is like particularly germane to me, right? And it's also just disingenuous to think that anyone holds a specific kind of secret sauce that is not rip offable by other people. We are all 
meat sacks that operate with basically the same parameters. And yes, privilege factors into it quite a bit. However, it you have more agency to skill up than you may necessarily believe. And that is why I talk about consulting as a mindset shift about all, above all else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of, uh, I think it's Kirby Ferguson who did Everything is a Remix. He had this wonderful print that came out when he was doing one of his Kickstarters, uh, the basic elements of creativity being copying something, transforming something, or combining two things into one. And I think about that concept a lot when I think about consulting where, like you said, the rip-off ability of it, there's not a lot unique out there. And it's, I think, perfectly fine to say, hey, I see this person doing this thing. I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to copy that thing. Not wholesale rip-off marketing page, please. But, oh, I see they're providing this service to this target market. Obviously, people are buying. I'm going to provide a similar service or the same service to the target market. Or I'm going to take that service and take it in a different direction. I started with link building and turned it into get, uh, get you reviews on e-commerce blogs. Or you're going to combine different things. I took get you reviews on e-commerce blogs and, oh, people care about podcasting to combine it into I will get you on podcasts. And I think that within consulting overall, there's there's a large opportunity to apply like copying, transforming, and combining things to create new service offerings or to identify what to provide. If I was starting off fresh as a consultant today, I I think I would look around and pick a target market. I would see what that target market is spending money on. And then I'd say, do I already have the skill to provide that service? If not, how do I learn that skill? How do I acquire that skill? If I really want to work with e-commerce stores and I'm like, huh, they seem to really care about Facebook retargeting and uh, abandoned cart emails. That seems to make them a lot of money. I'm going to provide those as a service. Well, actually, honestly, how many articles do you need to read before you're good enough to sell a basic service of, I will set up Facebook retargeting for you, or I will write an abandoned cart sequence for your store? Yeah, two tops. You really don't. 10 hours of work, 20 hours of work, maybe? Like, read a couple books, read a couple articles, understand the principles behind it, do a test campaign, and then start providing that service. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, hmm. I I don't know. I mean, I think that what you need to do is get like a how-to guide because that is a sign. If somebody's written a how-to guide, that is a sign of an open market, right? Like, and that's a sign of a market where um, somebody's already done the vetting for you, right? So they've already done the research process and you don't have to go through forums and all the other things that we've recommended previously. Um, The market has been validated in that situation. So go through and learn how to do it and then throw up a marketing page. How many people ripped off draft revise after seeing that idea? And they're all like, I wish I had done that. And I'm sure a lot of people are making a lot of money based on the fact that they had seen draft revises marketing page. Great. Bully on them. I'm mm-hmm. sold out. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I can't remember where I said it, but maybe it was in my annual, annual review a year or two ago. And I said like, I'm so happy that I see other people starting to do podcast outreach because I could work with four to six clients at a time. There are more than four to six clients out there at a time who need my services. There, there's The pie does not shrink. The pie will only grow. I want a single slice of it. There's more than enough for other people out there. And you're absolutely right about how-to guides. Uh, when I first decided to double down on SEO as my initial focused service offering, my first step was okay, I'm going to go read six how-to guides on like how to SEO your e-commerce store. And I'm going to combine them into a spreadsheet, an SOP, a standard operating procedure that I could follow. And it was super valuable. And I think just taking that step, taking four hours and reading through these different guides, it allowed me to A, 
talk with people in my target market about the problems they were experiencing. Okay, I see what the major issues are. Are you doing A, B, and C? Okay, no. Great. Here's what we'll do next. And it gave me a playbook, a run book to follow where now I know, okay, I've combined these guides to one Uber guide. I know what steps to take to SEO a store. I'm going to move forward with it now. I think you're absolutely right. How-to guides are such a valuable sign of there being an open market there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that everything I write about on Revise Weekly is just a ripoff of Conversion Excel's blog. Mm-hmm. But it's... You can unsubscribe from Revise Weekly right now. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> but people don't. You're a subscriber, right? And, and people don't because they get access to me. They get a bespoke treatment. They get actionable lessons and they get somebody in their inbox every week. And that actually is a lot of accountability. I'd say there's even one more important thing there. And like, let's, let's, let's take the premise of everything you write being a ripoff of conversion exile, which I disagree with, but let's play with it for a second. They're getting your particular framing and those lessons, these ideas and concepts through the lens of Nick DeSabato in their inbox. And I think that more than anything is what people are paying for. It's the application of that insight through your decade plus of work in the field. And they could read Conversion XL and see Peep's uh, uh, article on it. Great, wonderful. But that's one lens on it. Your lens might be more appealing to them because they resonate more with you or somebody else that we have yet to identify is writing about the same topic saying, well, their approach is a little more interesting. Uh, uh, oh, who's her name? Uh, uh, she does Itty Biz. Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed that I can't remember her name. Uh, Googling. Googling, filling time. Let's see here. Uh, Naomi um, uh, Dunford's, I think. I, that's That seems accurate. It I, auto-completed to Naomi Dunford. So, hi, Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Naomi. I hope you're a listener. But I realized, like, her approach and Sean DeSouza's approach are really, really similar. Like, a lot of the products and courses they've released are very similar. Like, uh, how do I write headlines? How do I create content? How do I know what to focus on in my business? Well, they're solving the same problems for the audience, but some people will say, hey, I really like Sean's style. Or some people will say, hey, I really like Naomi's style. Or some people will say, I really like this other person's style. And that's a good thing. The fact that they might be solving the same problem. How do I write a headline for an article or a page on my site? Well, I'm going to resonate more with one person than another. And so I'm going to seek out the content that that person is creating. And I think that's an important part to recognize as well. It's not just simply, well, I'm selling the same skill, the same commodity that somebody else is selling, but okay, I am selling the skill through my lens, through my perception, placing importance on the things I believe are important. I believe in outreach, understanding your target market is essential. And I think everything starts from there, starts from positioning. I have colleagues who also work in outreach who say, you know, we disagree with that. We think it starts somewhere else. And that's fine. We both get results from the campaigns, but we're approaching it from different directions. And that viewpoint, let's say, is one thing that attracts people to you as a consultant, that attracts clients to you because they're paying money to access your worldview when otherwise they wouldn't have that access. Paul Jarvis talks about this a lot, about finding your rat people. Um, Paul Jarvis owns rats. I think we talked about this in the past. Um, where uh, and, and basically, if you find rats to be disgusting, fuck off. And if you find rats to be really adorable and have great personalities, which they can be when you keep them as pets, then welcome. You are one of Paul Jarvis's rat people. And um, the goal is not to find other people who are interested in actionable advice about A-B testing, but to find kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I really don't care about people who want actionable advice about A-B testing because they're kind of just wanting to be the richest man in the cemetery and they're usually a man. 
Um, but, uh, you know, people who genuinely want to improve their business and want to meet new customers and using A-B testing as a tool to do that. Now, that's way more interesting. No, I and, completely agree. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of person do you want? You have to have a force of a personality and a voice. And it's a little bit further away from more of a special topics thing. How do you develop a voice? Way more complicated topic, but probably we need to be writing an entire podcast episode about. Um, but that's the the end game, is to have a confidently held point of view and an interesting way of attacking that point of view that resonates with people. And that does not come naturally to anyone. Anyone. No, it's only been after five years, four years of actively podcasting and writing that I'm starting to say, oh, I want to have a voice. And uh, uh, to rabbit hole on this for a little bit, I think there's value in having that voice, even if it's just drawing a line in the sand and saying, like, I believe in A and not B. And seeing who decides to stand on that same side of the line as you and who goes and stands on the other side of the line, creating that uh, uh, that passion or that emotion where somebody says, like, I really disagree with you on that point. I think this methodology is better or this idea is better or this concept is better. Well, that's good. Like, I'd much rather draw that line in the sand, have that voice, have that strong feeling and have people say, I agree with you. I I like that worldview. Let's talk more because you're right. Those are going to be the kindred spirits. God, I love when people disagree with me fervently. It means <laughs> I'm onto something. Exactly. If it, I'm not pissing people off, it means I'm, I mean, okay, I'm going to call, call this out. Um, I am so happy to report we have lost a subscriber of Make Money Online because I am apparently too angry great <laughs> bye <laughs> uh, uh, Mark Rosewater is uh, the lead designer for a little card game called Magic the Gathering it has a great podcast oh, very small very small called uh, a podcast called Drive to Work where he records a uh, podcast on his drive to work every day about Magic the Gathering and game design and wonderful wonderful podcast that I love because I'm a huge nerd and love magic and also love product design and game design. But he has a very, very strong belief where when you're creating a mechanic or creating a theme within your game, you want people to either love it passionately or hate it passionately. The worst thing you could get is people to play your game and say like, it was okay, because you're getting no good feedback. You want people to either say, I loved playing that game. That was so fun. Can we play a second time? Or people saying, your game is a piece of shit. I hate it. Why did you make this thing? I hate A, B, and C about it. Please fix A, B, and C, and then we can play again. Because that gives you actionable information. If people are just like, it was okay, now you have nothing. You know, people gave it a C or maybe a C plus, and you can't iterate based on a C or a C plus. Yeah. Um, the worst thing that you can be in consulting is boring and forgettable. God, and I never want to go through my life that way either. Like, I'm happy that I'm kind of polarizing and outspoken, you know? Like, I'm happy that I'm literally petting my dog throughout this entire podcast episode and able to yell into the internet. Like, I've totally lived the most, like, tip of the Maslow's hierarchy pyramid, and it's wonderful. And, like, that's what having a voice is about. It's about being confident and getting over the things that make you timid. Like, you get one life, man. You get one life. And that's... If you're, if you're not in this to, like, be confident and aggressive about what you do, then, like, 
Right. Really? Why? Right. Now, it's jumping back a thread to the uh, uh, listener's question, I, let me present a contrary question here and say, is it even important to track down that number one skills or better to say, here are an array of skills. Let me start with one of them and see what happens and see if I get a passionate response or not. See if people enjoy it or not. Just like we're talking about developing a voice. Well, you're going to develop a specific skill that you practice. Like we talked in earlier episodes about how uh, based on our mastermind retreat, you cut out a couple lines of business you were involved in. I would equate that to refining your voice. And oh yeah, absolutely. No, I'm pruning. I'm cone marrying my house. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that's what it is. And honestly, it goes back to the first thing I said at the beginning of this podcast, where I was kind of unasking the question because number one skill doesn't actually matter. Right. Right. I don't even know what my number one skill is: writing, yelling. yelling? <laughs> I've said it. Jinx. <laughs> Roll me a pop. <laughs> it's going to be hard to record a podcast when I can't talk for another month. Um, but, you know, like, what is what is my number one skill, you know? Like, and does it matter? Is it design? Is it wearing nice shirts? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what my number... I think my number one skill is keeping on my relationships with other people. And, like, that is actually god-awful. Like, if that... If that were the only thing that I went off of in my career, I would become an event organizer. You want to know how much I want to become an event organizer, Kai? How much do you want to become an event organizer, Nick? I super don't want to ever become an event organizer <laughs> under any circumstance. <laughs> Hell no. Make some... Xander, I know you're out there. You organize all the events. He did MicroConf and W Freelance and and stuff like that. He's an amazing event organizer. No, no, you ship that off to Xander. Hell no. No, I'm going to sit in my hole and do design every day while yelling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really good. I'm good at doing design every day while yelling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a horrible number one skill because you don't make design you don't make money from yelling you know until we get a sponsor that is uh, do we have to <laughs> does anyone want to sponsor this uh, uh one thing i would uh, i would say is like I, I at the top of the episode i said well i think we might be asking the question in reverse here and i think that it's not about tracking down your number one skill, but tracking down the number one problem that your target market or your audience or your buyers need solved. And uh, connecting to the skill augmentation discussion we had in here, well, the methodology I promote and that I like is, okay, figure out who you want to work with. Who's that target market? And like, you could do the dartboard approach. You could look at your past clients. You could say, hey, I worked in this industry for 10 years and know it well. Okay, great. You now know who your target market is. Go talk to 15 people who work in that market, 15 decision makers, 15 business owners. Ask some questions like, how does your business make money? What's scary right now? What's changing? What new technology is out there? Uh, what do you wish was easier? Uh, what's causing you agitation right now? What's the number one thing that's been on the top of your to-do list? Figure out the problems they are experiencing as business owners. Then, okay, great. Now you have a list of big problems. You've talked to a bunch of people. You have, you know, some problems came up more often than others. Well, maybe you should focus on the problems that came up more often. But then you're faced with that question of like, will people pay for this? And can I do it? I would go one step further and say you never use just one skill to solve an expensive problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that the one the number one skill thing is kind of a red herring. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I would argue, you know, even if you're just making Photoshop, you don't make the Photoshop document and ship it off to somebody. Right. You have to communicate. Okay, now communication is a skill. Where's your God now? <laughs> right? And okay, well, uh, I'm doing VWO. Okay, great. Uh, I just came up with a wonderful A-B testing idea. Now you're writing JavaScript. Where's your God now? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? So <laughs> I really stridently disagree with this notion that you only need to have one skill, right? I mean, if you if you want the skill of business, well, okay, great. You know, read The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman. You have done business. <laughs> Congratulations. It's not really a skill. It's more of a, this is what business is. Right. It's, it's a more mindset. Of a rule set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm both yeah. rule set and mindset really but you know it's it's not and you come to bear with many skills mm-hmm. i believe that everyone is a unique wonderful snowflake so what are those go and do something about it and a wonderful way to do it is just practicing and i think i six or seven years ago might have asked this exact same question i want to do consulting i want to quit my day job what's the skill i want to do well it's hard to know until you start getting some experience the first skill i had was i fucked around with wordpress for a couple years in college so i guess i'll sell wordpress websites and i looked around and was like oh people seem to buy wordpress websites excellent that's that's convenient for me people will spend money on this thing and so i started practicing that skill but through practicing that skill i discovered that i was able to ask questions about the business or the business behind the business for my clients. Why do you need a website? Why not use the old website? What's going on? And like, there were shitty questions and I've evolved them since then. But by asking these questions, I feel like I was always able to focus on a more expensive problem as I iterated through my business. And so I started with that first skill, something I was good at that people would pay for. But I continually said, there's more money to be made here. There's more problems to be solved. What is a problem that's more important to the business that I could focus on solving. And by asking that question, figuring out where I needed to augment my skills and take my business and my practice to the next level, that's how I feel I was able to build a better business. I think the number one skill that you need to practice on a daily basis is to listen to our podcast. Make money online dot exposed. Computers. <laughs> <laughs>